0: So this, this morning, we are going to have the word brought to us by, by Mike Roach. Mike Roach uh, lives in the Sandtown area here, lives with his uh, wife, Becca, and their young son, Titus. This is, uh, is this is your first time preaching, like for, on a Sunday morning? Second. Second time preaching on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, last time, we, uh, back in June, I believe. And so um looking forward to to, to hearing um the word that Mike has for us. So with that, let's receive Mike Roach this morning. Well, good morning, church. The uh, passage that we'll be going over is actually in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. So to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and while you're turning there, I'll I'll share with you guys a uh, a story. So one of my all-time favorite movies is uh, this movie called Chariots of Fire, and it's about one of my all-time favorite athletes and Christian heroes. And so in this movie, it talks about it goes over the, the life of Eric Liddell or Eric Little, depending on how you pronounce his last name. So he was born in 1902, and he was born in China. He was a Scotsman, but his parents were missionaries in China. So that's where he was born. He grew up in China. And then when he got to the age of the high school, his parents sent him back to uh, Scotland for schooling. And there he played a lot of sports, and he actually excelled a lot of sports. He excelled in rugby, and then also in track and field. In fact, he was so good at running, at racing, he, he, he earned the nickname, the Flying Scotsman. He was so fast that he was actually recognized as one of the fastest people in the world. So when the 1924 Olympics came around, he was asked by Great Britain to represent their country in the Olympics. So he would run the 100-meter dash. So I'm not sure how familiar you may be with track and field with, with sports like that, but the 100-meter dash, it's, 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 a pretty, it's probably the most famous racing event because when you win that race, you, you're known as the fastest man in the world, right? So I don't know if you guys remember just a couple Olympics ago, or, or yeah, the past couple ones with Usain Bolt. Uh, uh, he was pretty fast. He, he has that title, the fastest man in the world, right? Uh, so it's the same race, 100 meter dash. And so Eric Liddell, he represented England, but for the trials, for the heat, for the final race, one of the trials was on Sunday. And so he had a very biblical view of the Sabbath. And so he said, I, I can't race. I can't work on a Sunday. And so this, this put him in a pickle. This put the United Kingdom in a pickle. Like, what are they going to do? They have the fastest man in the world to represent their country. But yet he can't race on a Sunday. So the British Olympic Committee, uh, they got together to try to figure things out. And so they went back to Eric and said, okay, here, here's the deal. This is what you can do. Sunday morning, go to church, worship God, praise him there. And then Sunday afternoon, run the race for the glory of God. We both win, right? <laughs> and Eric Liddell said, no, <laughs> I, I can't do that. You know, the Sabbath is a full 24 hours. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. So what happened, making make a long story short, was that they decided to have Eric actually race a different event. So to race the 400. Okay, so like in the in movie, it made it seem like uh, this, this took place over a few days, but in actuality, it took place over a few months, so he had time to prepare and get ready for this race. So still, if you're not familiar with track and field, the 400, four times as long as the 100, right? Totally different strategy to race. It's a lot longer, you can't, it's not all-out sprint. So he's there at the Olympic Games, and the cars are really stacked against him. Because for one, he has to change his whole strategy for running. It's four times as long. Number two, he drew the outside lane. OK, so you know, as, as you're going around the track, you go a little bit longer if you stay on the outside, so, so the lanes are staggered. So you start off, if you're on the outside lane, you start off all the way up front. So you don't really see people in front of you. So there's no way to gauge how fast to run, because there's nobody in front of you to see. So that's a disadvantage. Another disadvantage is the day before, he had just run the 200 and won the bronze medal. So he was already exhausted. So, So with all these things lined up against him, he still raced the 400. So right before the race, somebody put a note into his hand. This is what the note said. It says in the old book, him that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success Always. So Eric Liddell, he, he took that as strong encouragement for his convictions regarding the Sabbath. And he went at the starting block. The gun went off. And Eric went off. All right, He just went out a full out sprint. And people were looking at him thinking, he's going to tire out. He's racing this like it's a 100. It's a 400. He's, he's going to be totally tired definitely by the time he hits the 300 mark. All out sprint. He doesn't see anyone in front of him. Gets to the finish line, not only does he win the gold medal, but he earns a world record, 47.6 seconds. And that stood for a few years. So he won the race for the glory of God. But then also, after that race, United Kingdom asked him to race the 4x100 relays and a 4x400 relay for England. But those were also held on a Sunday. So actually, those days, he wasn't even found in the stadium. He was actually in church preaching during those races. So with that in mind, let me read the passage that we'll be going over this morning. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. And it reads like this. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So again, this is Jesus speaking, and it's part of a long sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this passage that we just read, it started off with the word, therefore. Of course, you know, you've heard the kind of like corny, cheeky, you know, know, phrase, well, you've come across the word, therefore, you've got to figure out, well, what is it, therefore? All that really means is that what was said previously serves as a foundation for what's going to be said next. And so if you look back, Jesus, right before this passage, he talks about not laying up for yourselves treasure on this earth. And then in verse 24, he says this. And this is what we want to kind of focus on. In verse 24, he says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And some of you, if you have the old King James version, it might say God and mammon. Mammon is just another word used for possessions. So you can't serve God and money or God and possessions. And let me even narrow this down a little bit further. No one can serve two masters. So that word serve there, in the Greek, The word is do loss and that can be translated to either mean serve or slave be a servant or slave now in our English translation the vast majority of times throughout the Bible that's translated as serve a servant rather than a slave part of that a large portion of that has to do with our understanding of the word slave because you know if you go back just a few hundred years Starting in the middle of the 15th century, going back to the middle of the 19th century, you got the transatlantic slave trade, right? And so there's a lot of negative and oppressive, heavy things associated with slavery, and rightfully so. So, so when we come across the word slave, we kind of have that in mind, where 15 million Africans were brought over to the Americas as slaves. However, having the word translated to servant, just use just a lose a little bit of forcefulness, because if you come across the word serving, you might think that things are optional, you actually have a choice in the matter. But with the word slave, you don't really have a choice in the matter, you, you have to do it. And so just to get a better understanding, I'm not going to give a comprehensive history lesson here, but just to give an understanding of first century Rome, what slavery was then, and, and, and to what our own understanding of slavery, there's some similarities as well as some differences. So, sim- some similarities. First century Rome, if you were a slave, you had no rights. You were property. You had a master. You were owned by somebody else. So therefore, you did not have the same rights or advantages as your master. So that makes sense. Similarity. A difference is that, generally speaking, there there are certainly exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, at first century Rome, if you were a slave, your master would take care of your necessities your clothing your food where you would stay all because your sole purpose in life was to do this one or a couple things perfectly and your whole desire your whole focus was to do this thing and that's it don't worry about everything else I will take care of everything else just do this to the best of your ability And kind of on that note that's what I want to kind of focus on so if you hear nothing else during this sermon please hear this message what I'm about to say please hear this You can trust God while unreservedly pursuing his priorities. I'm going to say it again. You can trust God while unreservedly holding nothing back while pursuing God's priorities. Now when Jesus Christ, when he said that no one can serve two masters or no one can be a slave to two masters, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, Jesus Christ, he's kind of, Bringing home at least, at the very least, two points. And and the first point is this all of us, every single one of us, every human being is a slave to someone or something. We all have a master. There's no exception to the rule. And the second point that Jesus tried to drive home to this is that whoever our master is, we'll be completely devoted to that master. We'll give all that we have. All that we are to that master, even to our detriment, right? The Apostle Paul, he kind of says something similar in Romans chapter 6. So let's hear what the, the Apostle Paul says. He says this, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. He goes on to say this. But now that you have been set free from sin have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends eternal life. For the wages of sin is death for the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, when we talk about slavery and, and freedom, many of us, we kind of think about freedom. Well, well, freedom is the ability to do whatever you want or to pursue whatever you want, right? That, that really is freedom. But, but I'll kind of challenge that definition because freedom or well, at least that definition of freedom doesn't really lead to freedom. It leads to oppression, uh, tyranny. Uh, so let's say if I am smarter, stronger, faster, I have power, and I want the ability to do whatever I want. Believe me, there will come a point, and probably many points, where my freedom will encroach on your freedom. And actually because I am power, more powerful, you'll actually feel like you are oppressed by me. And so really, to have true freedom, it, it, it boils down to two things. Number one, to have true freedom, you have to have the right desire. Desire what you ought or what you should. And then to follow up on that, the ability to carry that out. So having the right desire and actually acting on that desire. And to really know that, to. To even have the ability to desire what is right, to desire what is good, perfect, that can only come through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because as we know that Nicodemus has his discussion with Jesus Christ, you have to be born again, place a new desire, a new passion in your heart where you're, where it was not before. And then not only does God do that when you are born again, but then He gives you the ab- ability to act upon that desire. So praise be to God that that is where true freedom comes, because it comes from the creator, the one who designed us, the one who created us, who knows everything about us and knows what we are designed to do. That purpose and drive, we can only come from God, not from ourselves, the creation. So what Jesus is getting at here is, don't, don't lay out for yourselves treasures on this earth, because they will not fulfill. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That, that word first in the Greek is, is actually protos. It's not first in a sense that it's a sequential order, like one, two, three. It's, it's first as in greatest priority, greatest value, greatest worth. Seek ye first the greatest value, the kingdom of God. It's not seek the kingdom of God first and then all your other stuff. God, his kingdom, his purpose is of utmost importance. Whether whether you realize it or not, it doesn't really matter. But Jesus here is trying to show you, point you to, it is first. It is the greatest. But then all these other things, I mean, those are real necessities. necessities. Food, what are you going to eat, what are you going to drink, how how are you going to dress yourself in the morning? Those are real legitimate needs. But you kind of see the love of God here, where he says that, I, I know you, you need those things, and, and I'll take care of it. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Don't be anxious. Don't lose sleep. Don't try to figure things out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So, if our God is such a good and loving master, if our God is such a good and loving father, Then why is it so hard for us to trust him so many times? Why do we struggle trusting him? Or why do we get anxious when we're not in control, right, of things, of life? I I don't have to look pretty far. I just look at myself. (laughs) I just look at myself. Like, why do I get anxious about life and certain things when I'm not in control? I want to say trust. This is what I mean. Yes, you can substitute the word trust with faith, but but really— what I'm saying here is placing your confidence in, whatever that may be, placing your confidence in and, and then acting upon that. So because I'm speaking to Christians here, we've already placed our full confidence and trust in God, Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you for these next few words. If you're not a Christian, I, I get it. There's, there's no real reason for you to pl- place your trust in God because you don't, you don't really know him like we do. But if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you right now. So one reason why we don't like to trust God is because we trust ourselves in actually making things happen, right? We don't really trust God in making things happen. We're we're here on the ground level. We actually know what's going on. God is either too high up in the sky. He's he's out of touch. His his ways and rules and laws are kind of outdated. Um, He doesn't really know what's going on. Or, you might think that God really isn't in control like some people think he is. He's not in control of every single thing in life. Just, just a few things, and everything else is left up to us to make things happen. Or, you might think, hey, you know what, God, God's really holding out on me. He's holding out the best. And so the great thing about narratives, about stories, is that they do a great job in revealing sin not only in ourselves or characters that we read about, but, but it kind of reveals truth too. And, and, and that's why I love using stories and narratives. And The Bible, obviously, is full of stories and narratives. And so one great story is the story of Abram and Sarai. All right, so this is the before they got their name changed to Abraham and Sarah, but I'll, I'll probably just use Abraham and Sarah because that's easier. But in Genesis chapter 15, God comes and meets Abraham, right? And he makes a promise to Abraham that he will have offspring, like physical progeny. He, like he will have a son. But, but there's also a, a spiritual aspect to it, that he will have so many offspring and be too numerous to count. And so God makes a covenant, it goes through this like, dramatic uh, 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 sequence of events with Abraham, making this promise. Um, and then, so that's Genesis chapter 15. Flip the page, Genesis chapter 16. Guess what happens? I mean, we already know how much time uh, elapsed over 15 and 16. Could be short, could be long, but the author is making a point. The very next thing that happens is this Abraham and Sarah, they don't have any kids. They do not have any kids, and they're freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? And and then they come up with this great plan, right? How, Abraham, this is Sarah talking. Abraham, how about you sleep with my slave, my servant, Hagar, and then her kid will be our kid. right? Perfect. Perfect. I'm, I'm helping God out. I'm trying to bring about His promise. Horrible, goes downhill, does not work out. Things like eventually explode. But the point is is that they, on their own level, on their own understanding, they're trying to figure things out. Because they don't believe that God can make things happen. They don't believe God can fulfill the promise to them. Of course, one of the more famous stories out of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, you got Adam and Eve. To make a long story short, they're trying to figure out, hey, this lie that the serpent told me, I'm looking at this fruit, and it actually looks pretty good. It looks useful. It looks gorgeous, actually. And I can actually eat it. And maybe I can be not only like God, but even better than God. What is going on here? I mean, I mean, they're, they're believing that God is holding out on them. God is holding out promises on them. And, and, and while it's so easy for us to see that either in stories or in other people, do we, do we recognize those same patterns in, in ourselves? Do we recognize those same patterns that we're reading about, either in Abraham, Sarah, Adam, Eve, you name it, do we recognize those same patterns that are going on in our minds, our understanding? So one of my favorite passages in Scripture, it's, it's, it's almost cliche in Christian uh, communities, but is Proverbs 3, chapter 3, 5 through 7, verses 5 through 7. It starts off with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And then it goes on. It says... Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. <laughs> I mean, that last part, be not wise in your own eyes. How many times do we encounter sin or encounter choices and we're like, all right, I, <laughs> I can figure this out. I, I know what God said, but I'm, I'm thinking here. <laughs> I'm, I'm rationalizing this other choice that I want to do. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, respect God, respect his rules and his ways because his best. As shun, turn away from, run from evil. So the first thing is that we trust ourselves in making things happen. We don't really trust God. The, the second thing is that we trust the joys of this world rather than the joy of God himself. We actually trust and love the joys of this world sometimes, many times, a lot of times, more than the joy of of God Himself. So a couple couple weeks ago, Pastor Joel he gave this uh, kind of humorous uh, misquote. just talking about how you know we kind of enjoy building castles uh, uh, in the sand rather than, than going to Disney World. What he's trying to convey there, what he's trying to uh, bring out there, is that like this our sins, our own desires. We are so focused on this small, really insignificant thing compared to God and we really don't view God that large so when we're dealing with idols idols in our lives could be career family dreams desires fill in the blank whatever it is the, the issue isn't really that we're making those idols too big many times the issue is that we view God so small He is much larger than whatever we can pursue out of this life in this world. Because then pursuing God just becomes an add-on. Just one more thing that add on to my life. But I'm really pursuing as X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'll just add on God onto that. It's just so small and insignificant. Sometimes we might actually try to pursue God, right? And forsake those great dreams and those great desires. But yet, while we're pursuing God, we're, we're kind of like hunched over saying, woe is me. I, I, I left this great career. I left this, what, I hope you didn't leave your family, but the whole idea, I left this thing to, to pursue God. Yeah. You know, woe is me. You kind of like self-flagellate, like, like, like you beat yourself up. You're saying, oh, wow. You, you really do have a small view on God and his kingdom. Yeah. God is much larger than whatever you dropped whatever you left behind Amen. so this brings up to Eric Liddell his, his, his story actually kinda of picks up so Eric Liddell after winning the gold medal in the 400 after winning the bronze in the 200 he actually finishes college he goes to seminary becomes a missionary to go back to China where he grew up he actually meets another missionary there. They get married. They have two daughters. They're serving God. They're sharing the gospel. They're actually teachers as well, so they teach there. Um, But then things kind of heat up. And so you have Japan. Japan actually invades mainland China. And things get kind of tense there. And so the uh, the devils, they're like, all right. So, So Eric decides, well, since things are not as safe as they used to be, How about I just send my wife and two daughters over to Canada, because that's where she is from, and they live there, and then I'll come back and meet you guys in Canada when things get better. And so that's what they decided to do. That's their plan. So Eric sends his wife and two kids to Canada. And things just rapidly, rapidly get worse, because as you may or may not know, this is right before or during World War II. So Japan is having military invasions into China, doing a lot of damage. And then Eric gets caught up with the Japanese forces, and he's placed into an internment camp. So there he serves in an internment camp, but there he doesn't lose hope and faith. He still serves God. He encourages other believers there in the camp. Actually, uh, I think during winter they get pretty cold there, and one of the kids didn't have shoes on his feet. And Eric, he still had his shoes from the Olympic Games when he won the gold medal and he hands the kid his shoes so that he can have something on his feet. So Eric tirelessly serves there at this camp and actually he gets a nervous breakdown. He's actually doing a lot. He's doing too much and he gets a nervous breakdown and he dies. He dies in camp about two months or so before the camp was liberated. So not only does he die, but then Remember when I mentioned that he sent two, his, his wife and two daughters to Canada? Well, he actually had three daughters because his wife was pregnant at the time, so he never met his youngest child. So your question might be, or I'm certainly sure it is, where was God in all of this? Why did God not help Eric Liddell and his family out? Eric gave everything he had to God, not only back when he won the Olympics and would-not race on the Sabbath, but then he served his whole life in China, him and his wife, and kids. Then he loses his family, he loses his life. Where was God in all of this? Where was God for his family and wife? They grew up not knowing. Or at least his youngest daughter did not know her dad. Didn't have that great relationship. Where was God in all of this? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and God will take care of all these other things. What's What's going on here? Now remember I said the main point of the sermon, right? If you get nothing else, understand this. You can trust God while unreservedly pursuing his priorities. You can trust God while giving all you have and all you can to serving God and his priorities, his kingdom. So my answer to this, number one, if they're not going to vibe well, if, if you don't already believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that he is all and everything, the greatest joy, the greatest happiness, the greatest treasure there is. And so, just let you know right off the bat, you're not going to like these answers if you don't already believe and trust in him. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple and you call God Father, this will only serve to encourage you, to strengthen you. And the first is this. God will neglect your desires. <laughs> what? God, God will neglect my desires? Well, well he'll, he'll neglect your desires because of this. He will actually change your desires. See, any believer, any, any follower of Christ realizes this over their course of following God, that what they used to enjoy and get out of life, it's, it's changing over time. And sometimes you can even look back and say, well, wow, how did I even like or enjoy that? Or like, where's this new passion that I have to pray, to be with God, to, to, to commune with believers, to read his word, to, to pursue God? You'll actually notice that over a course of time. Now, of course, through sanctification, there's, there's time periods where those, are, those, those understandings are, are, and, and victories over sin are stronger or weaker at times, but definitely over a course of time, you, you recognize that growth, that process. Because God is doing something in us. Again, he's already given us a desire for him, and he's given us the ability to act upon that. Amen. Amen. But God, through sanctification, calls us, asks us, commands us to follow God in that. So it's like that dual part in sanctification. So not only does God neglect your desires because he changes them, But also, we've already mentioned this before, but whatever you give up to pursue God does not even compare to God, to the riches and glory that you will receive in God in knowing him and his gifts and rewards. No sin, no pleasure, no dream, no comfort, no good thing or bad thing, not even blessings can compare to the one who's giving it to you compares to the one who is sovereign, all-loving, all-knowing, the true master, the true father of our lives. You know, I, I kind of say this to uh, Becca every once in a while. Um, hey, if I happen to die relatively at a young age, right, if I, if I don't get to have a nice long marriage with you, don't get to see certain milestones in Titus or whatever kid's life, uh, don't think I'll be in heaven like, like crying being like, oh, man, I, I wish I were there on earth. Now, now, granted, I do want those things, right? But when I'm in heaven, I, <laughs> I'm going to be with God. Yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, Becca, I'm, I'm, I'm saving you a seat. You know, you, you can't wait for you to get here. Please bring Titus. You know, raise my to know God. <laughs> Please bring him. But I'm not going to be saying, oh, I'm missing out on X, Y, Z back on earth. Because yeah. I'm going to be with the almighty creator, the one I love, the one I've given my entire life to. I can't wait to enjoy and praise and worship Him not only with and by myself but with other fellow believers brothers and sisters in Christ praising God so yes I will miss you and Titus but it'll be right. don't don't worry about me but what I'm getting at is that we sometimes many times have a small view of God small view especially compared to things we want to get out of this life so Jesus Christ he actually says something similar. So he's having this conversation with his disciples, and they just got done talking with the rich young ruler. And his disciples say to him, Paul or uh, Peter is the main talker. He says, Hey, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And this is what Jesus says He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands, for my name's sake, we'll receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What Jesus is saying here is that, again, I'm, I'm beating this home. I'm, 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 whatever you leave for God, for him, does not compare not only to your future and sometimes even present rewards, but they won't even compare to the reward giver. You know, the Christian faith has so many heroes and heroines not only in the Bible, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, but then also throughout church history recorded. And even saints, heroes and heroines that you're sitting right next to, right here in this congregation, who are pursuing God. Yes, who make mistakes. Yes, who don't get everything right. But given all they have to pursue God. This is what the author of Hebrews says in the beginning of chapter 12. This is what the author says, he says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Again, so many heroes and heroines in the Bible, church history, family, friends that we know of, people sitting right next to us. We're all in this together. We are encouraged by each other. But then we're also encouraged by Jesus Christ, his example that he he left us and we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit who, who lives and indwells in us. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, being weighed down by the future event, what's going to happen next. Here, I'll read it straight from the Bible. This is what it says. It says, this is Jesus' prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down on the ground. Man, this is pretty intense. What's going on here? Here is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And he's in agony here he's been encouraged by an angel he's sweating like great drops of blood what is going on here you see crucifixion it was brutal it was, it was designed to be torturous as a matter of fact thousands of people before jesus christ were crucified and thousands after just so you know jesus christ was not the only person crucified But But this really isn't what's causing a lot of pain and suffering and agony in Jesus Christ. The actual crucifixion itself. He's about to experience the full wrath of God for sin. The full wrath that we ourselves as sinners outside of Christ deserve. And he's experiencing that on behalf of those who cling to his name. That is what he's experiencing agony over. That's what he's praying and being encouraged that he's about to experience. And it's all done for us. His love and commitment for us as love and commitment to God the Father. That is the example that we have. Forsaking our will, our own desires, and pursuing God's will and his desires. So if you do not know Jesus Christ, Do not leave this place without asking someone who is this person, who was and is this person that I need to know about, that I need to cling to, not only for salvation, but for true joy and happiness that these other idols, these other small things, cannot come close to providing. And those of us who do call in the name of Jesus Christ, who do call God Father, we are encouraged right now through the example of Jesus. So in closing, Let me pray this prayer. Father God, we have not known thee as we ought, nor learned thy wisdom, grace, and power. The things of earth have filled our thought and trifles of the passing hour. Lord, give us light, thy truth to see, and make us wise and knowing thee. Amen.